Hello, and welcome to Bible 101 Podcast. We're working on the Apostles' Doctrine. This is lesson number five. I hope to complete the series in this lesson. We'll do our best. The last time we talked about baptism in Jesus' name, I think I covered that pretty well. We're going to go ahead and move in now to the third part of Acts 2.38, which is the Holy Ghost. Okay, we're going to talk about a lot of things here. Um, and so I want to go ahead and get into the Holy Ghost. So let's read Acts 2.38 again. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The first thing I want to point out is that it is a gift. It does not have to be worked for. It is a gift. When I say I'm going to give you a gift, uh, the very definition of gift tells you you don't have to work for it. It is a gift from God. And so it's not something you beg God for. It's not something you plead God for. It's not something that you feel like you have to bargain with God for. It is a gift freely given by God. All right, let's read a few verses of Scripture. Let's find out what is the gift of the Holy Ghost. Colossians 1:27 gives us the answer to this. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Ghost is the same Spirit that dwelt in Jesus. Notice this, Romans 8 and 11. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Okay, the first question I want to ask now that we've defined the Holy Ghost, that it is the Spirit of God, uh, we're going to talk about is it essential? Number one, John the Baptist preached the Holy Ghost. Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So when prophesying about Jesus, John the Baptist said that one way we would know that the Messiah had come was that he would baptize the believers with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Number two, Jesus preached the Holy Ghost. John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Acts 1, 4 through 8, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. Now notice what he said. He said, You don't need to worry about uh, whether or not I'm going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time. He said, But this is what you need to be concerned about, verse number 8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Number three, Peter preached the Holy Ghost. You can read Acts 2.38. We've read it. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Acts 8, verses 14 through 16. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Number four, Paul preached the Holy Ghost. 
We've read it many times throughout this series. Let's read it again. Acts 19, and let's go to verse 1 and 2. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Under what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So we see from these scriptures that the Holy Ghost was preached by Jesus, John, Peter, and Paul. In regards to it being essential, let's review some of these scriptures. In Acts 8, Peter and John prayed that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Ghost. This is interesting because the Samaritans had already believed the word which Philip spake to them. Let's read it in context. Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. Please pardon all the reading. I, I want to read the context so you can understand what's being uh, spoken about here. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and were lame, and were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip in wonder, beholding the miracles and signs which are done. Now notice, verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip, they believed. So according to the doctrine of some denominations, they had already received the Holy Spirit. However, this is not what the Bible teaches. Let's read on. Verse 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent it to them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Notice that they believed and they were baptized. In some churches, they would be official members because once you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit according to some denominations and you're baptized as a public profession of your faith. However, Peter and John prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. They had believed and been baptized, but they had not yet received the Holy Ghost. How did they know that the Samaritans had not received the Holy Ghost? Well, let's keep reading. Acts 8. Verse 17, Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. So notice the phrase here, Simon saw. If believing is receiving, what did Simon see? Why did the apostles lay hands on them and pray for them to receive the Holy Ghost if believing is receiving? So it is clear from these verses of Scripture that believing and receiving are two separate events. It is also clear from these Scriptures that the Holy Ghost was accompanied by some type of visible evidence. In other words, Simon saw. Um, let me use this point because some people might say, well, he saw the apostles laying hands on them. Now, this is a terrible argument 
Because if all Simon saw was the apostles laying hands on them, what would stop Simon from saying he had been given the power to lay hands on people and they would receive the Holy Spirit? And just walk around and say, there, I laid my hands on you. You've now received the Holy Spirit. You've now received the Holy Spirit. You've now received the Holy Spirit. But clearly, he saw something more than just the apostles laying hands on the people, on the Samaritans that day, because this was a uh, something he could not duplicate, and that's why he offered them money. He said, give me this power also, that on whomsoever I lay hands, they may receive the Holy Ghost. You keep reading in Acts chapter 8. Okay, so what was that evidence? What did Simon see? In order to answer this question, let's go throughout the book of Acts, which records the birth of the church, and read what happens when the Holy Ghost fell on believers. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house which, uh, where they were sitting. And there appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And notice what happened. When they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm reminded of John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. And that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. I want you to notice several things in that portion of Scripture. And I quoted that from memory, but I know I quoted, quoted it correctly. Uh, in John chapter 7, verse 37-39, Jesus said, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water water. Okay, so he's saying, when you believe on me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water are going to flow out of, some translations put it, your innermost being. So when you believe, there's going to be a, an experience that starts internal, but it comes out. Out of your belly shall flow. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this may of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. So believing here and receiving are two separate events. And when you believe, something happens on the inside, but it doesn't stop on the inside. It flows out. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Okay. Now, uh, let's go over to uh, the book of uh, Acts chapter number 10. I'm going to skip down to Acts chapter 10. I think I've covered that. Uh, Acts chapter 2 if you want an in-depth study of that, I recommend you uh, look at a few of the Apostolic Apologetic series, specifically my series on 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14. And there's a, it's a three-parter, but listen to that in depth to understand Acts chapter 2 and some of the arguments specifically that people bring up about that. And I, I believe I went into that very much in depth in that series. All right, Acts chapter 10. This is the opening of the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter goes and he preaches to them. To make a long story short, he opens his mouth and he preaches unto them about Jesus. When he finishes preaching, uh, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts chapter 10 and verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words. Now, hang on. Let's go back to verse 43. To him give all the prophets witness. Now, he's finishing preaching about Jesus. That through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Okay, according to some people, the chapter ought to end there. And they say, there we go. We profess and we believe on Jesus. Peter, we believe what you just said. Therefore, we receive uh, remission of sins. We've received the Holy Ghost and we're good to go. 
But notice verse 44. So Peter just got through telling them, whosoever believeth in him, who Jesus, obviously, shall receive remission of sins. But then it says this, verse 44 of Acts chapter 10. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed, that's the Jews, by the way, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. All right, so how did they know they had received the Holy Ghost? For, or because, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Again, that's Acts chapter 10, verse number 46. Now, there's an important point to be made here. Peter did not go by himself into the home of the Gentiles because he knew what he was going to be facing. If he had gone into that house alone and had not a witness to go with him, then he would have been accused in the next chapter, and he was accused in the next chapter by the Jews, saying, you went into uncircumcised household, and you ate with them, and you fellowship with them, and we're not supposed to do that. So Peter knew God had spoken to him and told him to go. And again, you can read this in Acts chapter 10. I don't want to take a lot of time to get into it. God had to give him a vision three times just to get him to go to Cornelius's house because uh, it, they shouldn't do a thing like that. They shouldn't go into a Gentile's home. Gentiles were unclean. They were dogs. And so when Peter goes into the house, he takes witnesses with them. And these are Jews. These are circumcised people. And when they go into that household, they're watching real close because they're not comfortable with what Peter's doing. And so they're all standing back and they're not sure what to think, They but they do trust Simon Peter. And so they're watching real close and they're saying, you know what? Well, God may have spoken to Peter to preach to them, but we're not going to touch these Gentiles to baptize them unless we know God's accepted them. That's why. Uh, you know, just them believing would not have been accepted by those Jews. They had to see some sort of visible evidence that God had accepted these Gentiles. What evidence did they see? The exact same evidence that they saw on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was poured out. Can I submit to you also the exact same evidence that they saw when the Holy Ghost was poured out upon the Samaritans? Okay, but so watch this. Verse 47, or excuse me, verse 46, then answered Peter, verse 47, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? It would not be a stretch to translate this just like we did. He said they've received the Holy Ghost just like we did. You can't deny that fact. He says, can you really forbid water that these should not be baptized? Because they received the Holy Ghost just like we received it. In other words, they're speaking in tongues. That was clear, visible evidence that they had received the Holy Ghost. They were speaking with tongues. Nobody could deny that. Now, somebody could have denied the fact that, you know, they say, well, I believe in Jesus. And somebody could say, well, how do we know their faith is sincere? But here, when God filled them with the Holy Ghost, it's not something that they could do. This is a point I want to establish. Speaking in tongues is not a work that you can do. You don't learn how to speak in tongues. Somebody doesn't come up to you and say, repeat after me. Uh, and I'm not trying to use a mockery. Please forgive this illustration I'm making, but I'm just making a point. You know, da, da, da. Repeat after me. Say, da, da, da. In fact, I even heard of a man that was was praying, and sadly, it was an apostolic church, and he, he was doing that. He was trying to get a man to repeat after him. That's not biblical. We don't have one single illustration in the Scripture or example in the Scripture that tells us that you can teach somebody how to speak in tongues. They didn't do that that day. While Peter yet preached, he was preaching about Jesus. He had not even mentioned speaking in tongues. He had not even mentioned baptism in Jesus' name. And while he's preaching, the Holy Ghost falls and they begin to speak with other tongues. They didn't know to expect to speak in tongues. God didn't tell 
Cornelius through the angel that they would speak in tongues, but they started speaking in tongues. They didn't know this was going to happen, but it was supernatural. Okay. And it says, and he commanded them, verse 48 of Acts chapter 10, to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Okay. You can read in the next chapter that the Jews contested this and they said, Peter, you went in and ate with uncircumcised. You fellowship with them. And Peter told them about the vision and, and he told them about the experience and he said, we couldn't deny it. Once God poured out the Holy Ghost, we couldn't deny what had happened because they got it just like we got it. Okay, hopefully I've established this point by now, but how did they know they had received the Holy Ghost? They spoke in tongues. How did they know that in Acts chapter 2? They spoke in tongues. How did they know it in Acts chapter 8? There was some type of visible evidence that Simon Saul. And most scholars agree. And by the way, some of those are scholars that actually resist speaking in tongues. And some of them, John MacArthur comes to mind, even say it's of the devil. But in John MacArthur's commentary, and don't just take my word for it, look it up yourself. He says that in Acts chapter 8, it's very clear that it's probably talking about Simon saw them speaking in tongues. Okay, so let's go over to Acts chapter 19 now. Now, somebody might say, all right, now here's the reason why they spoke in tongues in Acts chapter 2, and in Acts chapter 8, and in Acts chapter 10. It's because that is the very first time the Holy Ghost was poured out on the Jews, and there had to be some kind of supernatural occurrence to let them know that the Holy Ghost had come. And then in Acts chapter 8, there had to be some sort of uh, supernatural evidence that the Holy Ghost had come. And then in Acts chapter 10, there had to be some sort of supernatural evidence because in these three chapters, this records the beginning of the churches of that uh, of those groups of people. So for instance, in Acts 2, it's the Jews. In Acts 8, it's the Samaritans. In Acts 10, it's the Gentiles. Then what do you do with Acts chapter 19? Excuse me while I take a drink of water. All right, Acts chapter 19 and verses 1 through 6. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? Now, some translations would translate this, Have you received the Holy Spirit, or did you get the Holy Spirit when you believed? All right, it doesn't matter how you translate it. The point still stands. They were believers, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, This is Acts 19.3, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them. Now let's stop. How did they know the Holy Ghost had come on them? Watch. And they spake with tongues and prophesied. Now some people may say, well, yeah, but they also prophesied. So that tells us not everybody's going to prophesy when they receive the Holy Spirit. So it, it follows from simple logic that not everybody's going to speak in tongues when they receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, well look, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost came in, it came in like a mighty rushing wind. Cloven tongues appeared like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. The Spirit of God gives the utterance. Now I can tell you this for sure. I've seen many people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I can honestly tell you that 
I've only heard of a few occasions where it came in like a mighty rushing wind, where you could literally hear some kind of a, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Um, I have never seen, personally, cloven tongues like as a fire sitting upon each person that receives the Holy Ghost. So in that chapter, clearly not everybody that receives the Holy Ghost is going to hear it come in like a mighty rushing wind and is, is going to uh, see a, you know, a vision of cloven tongues like as a fire sitting upon everybody. And uh, furthermore, in Acts chapter 19, you know, not everybody's going to prophesy when they, uh, you know, when they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But one thing is in common in all of these passages is that when they received the Holy Ghost, they spoke with tongues. Now, if it's only because it was the uh, first occurrence of the Holy Ghost being poured out in these certain groups of people, what do you do with Acts chapter 19? These were just simple believers. They uh, were disciples of John the Baptist, and there was only 12 of them. Why would they speak with tongues? Okay, so I believe that the point stands here that the Bible is very clear in the book of Acts, which again records the beginning of the church. The book of Acts, by the way, is not just a history book. It is a book that teaches doctrine because some people would argue and they say, well, we can't take the book of Acts as doctrine. And I have discussed this before, but let me remind you of this point. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So it's clear that the book of Acts is not just a history book. It's not just something that, that records, uh, you know, a, a history of what people do or whatever, uh, or what people did back then, and it no longer applies to us today. It still applies to us today, and it still tells us how the church started. And by the way, let me bring out this point, because you may read the book of Acts, and you may see that, uh, you know, we go from Acts 2 and Acts 8 and Acts 10 and Acts 19, and you may think, well, these are just a few days apart. That's wrong. There was years that separated these events, and I don't have a calendar, or excuse me, I don't have a, a uh, time frame in front of me, but I have done research on this before. There are years that separates these events. So is somebody that might say, well, it was just for the apostles, or is it was just for, you know, the the uh, the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Well, what do you do with the fact that years separated these events? And in Acts chapter 19, years had passed since the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the day of Pentecost, since the outpouring of the Holy Ghost to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles. And now uh, here comes Paul into Ephesus and only 12 men and they're disciples of John the Baptist. So it's not like it's an opening of the door to a new uh, whole entire new group of people. And he preaches to them about the Holy Ghost and they receive the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues. So again, years separated these events. This is not a new opening of, of the door to a new nation. This is just 12 simple men that were disciples of John the Baptist, and yet they still received the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. Now, let me tell you this. I think it's so beautiful because uh, Luke, when he's writing, he probably remembered the law of uh, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. And so he said, you know, uh, I, I've given you these three witnesses here, and, uh, you know, in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, and Acts chapter uh, uh, 10, but he says, let me go ahead and give you one more just for good measure. And so I think Luke did a very wonderful job of recording the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And 
let me just put it this way. Now that Luke has established the pattern of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and that when the Holy Ghost comes, they speak with other tongues, you can't expect to go and just dig into every single instance of where uh, the Holy Ghost pours out and he, rec- he has to specifically say they spake with tongues in order for you to believe it. Let me give a case in point of that. You go over to the book of Acts chapter number nine and you can read the conversion story of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts chapter nine. And I encourage you, if you're listening here, to flip over with me. Let's go over to Acts chapter number nine. Now, why am I bringing this scripture out? I'm bringing it out to show you that there's times that speaking in tongues is clearly implied. In fact, later on in scripture, it brings out that uh, Paul, at this point, he was called Saul of Tarsus, spoke with tongues. But here we see that he doesn't specifically say he spoke with tongues, but he says he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And you can read in Acts chapter 9, and I'm not going to go into the whole story. He's on his way to Damascus. He's a persecutor of Christians. He's headed uh, to, to get letters to persecute the Christians. And um, and then he he's on the journey. He came near Damascus, verse number 3. Suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. Again, this is Acts 9 and verse 4. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. Now I'm reading this quickly for a reason. I'm trying to get somewhere. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire at the house of uh, in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth, and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name among uh, before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. All right. Let's slow down. (laughs) I read all of that really quickly. Acts chapter 9, verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight, watch this, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, there is an important point to be made here. Go back and read again. When Saul saw the great light come from heaven, he falls off his beast. He hears the voice of the Lord say, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Then Jesus told him what to do. Saul obeyed. Now, why is that a big point? Because at this point, you know, when he sees the light and he gets knocked down off his beast and he gets up and he's blind, Guess what? He now believes in Jesus. That's an important point to be made, and I think it's a point that a lot of people would avoid. But think about it. He now believes in Jesus so much so he does exactly what Jesus told him to do, and for three days he's he's sitting there. Now, I can tell you what he's doing during this point of time. He's praying. You want to say, well, prove that point to me. All right, let's prove it. Uh. 
verse 11 of Acts 9. Again, the Lord speaking to Ananias, and the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. Who do you think he's praying to? He's praying to Jesus. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? He's a believer. He believes in Jesus, and yet Ananias went his way and laid hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, again, this is verse 17 of Acts 9, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Guess what? He had been praying for three days. He was a believer in Jesus, so much so he did everything like Jesus told him to do, and yet he had not yet received the Holy Ghost. Now you say, but it doesn't say he spoke with tongues. Let's read verse 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Okay, I return to the point because some people might argue, for instance, in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 4, and they were all filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and began to speak with the tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so you could read that, and then you go on down where Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, verse 39, uh, verse 40, with many other words, he testified and exhorted, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And as many as gladly received his word were baptized, and they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Okay, some people will point to that and they'll say, well, it doesn't specifically say that they spoke in tongues. But a reverse argument could be made. Well, it doesn't say they received the Holy Ghost either. But it is implied. It says 3,000 souls were added unto them. What does that mean? Added unto them that had received the Holy Ghost. Okay, well, the same point could be made here. It says, and immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. You say, well, it doesn't say he spoke in tongues, but it doesn't say he received the Holy Ghost either. Now, we can read back in verse 17. He says that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost, but read verse 18. It says, and immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized, but it doesn't say he received the Holy Ghost, but it is clearly implied that he received the Holy Ghost. So if you could say, well, obviously he received the Holy Ghost because he received his sight and the Lord said that he'd receive the Holy Ghost at the same time he received his sight. Well, if you can say that he received the Holy Ghost, why can't I say he spoke in tongues? Okay, and I can prove to you he spoke with tongues. I can prove to you that Paul spoke with tongues more than just on this one occasion. Flip over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 18. The writer of 1 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul. Go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he introduces himself as the Apostle Paul. Watch this, verse 18. Paul speaking, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. So can I submit to you that Paul was a tongue talker and Paul spoke with tongues. And when he received the Holy Ghost, I guarantee you, I know he did beyond the shadow of a doubt, Paul spoke with tongues. He received the Holy Ghost, he spoke in tongues, and he continued to speak in tongues. I think that's an important point to be made here too, because it's not as if he just spoke in tongues one time. He continued to speak in tongues. It's something Paul did on a regular basis. He said, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in context, he's actually having to put stipulations on them because they're using uh, tongues and interpretation of tongues in sometimes the wrong context for the wrong reasons, and he had to put stipulations on them, yet he told them, I speak with tongues more than all of you. 
Okay, then in the next verse he said, yet in the church. So basically what he's saying there is, in private, he speaks in tongues more than them all. Okay, so let's um, continue to go back to our lesson. I Actually, none of that was in my notes, but I, I wanted to establish that point. All right, now, there's something else I, I want to uh, show you. Let's go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 13. Now, I'm going to prove to you something here that I don't usually like to get into, but I do think this is an important point. If you have anything besides a King James Version, if you have a modern translation, you're going to find out that this will not read the same. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye had, had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, so notice here, he says very clearly, after that you believe. Now, if you have another translation, it'll say, when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Can I submit to you that they'll give a reason for translating it that way, and they'll say, well, the Greek demands that translation, but really, actually, it's their bias that demands that translation. Uh, because they understand, if they translate that as, after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and that totally destroys their doctrine of uh, receiving the Holy Spirit at the point of belief. So they have to translate it the other way. And they can come up with an argument. And it's the same thing with Acts 19 and 2. Uh, and he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Most of the modern translations will say, when you believe. There's very few exceptions to that. Uh, I believe the modern uh, English version, if I remember correctly, also translated uh, since you believed. But uh, the point here is that it's not, it's not as if, like, at the point you believe, you receive the Holy Ghost. And Paul makes that point in Ephesians 1.13, after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. But let me just give you an example. If I was to put a bucket of soap water on the table and ask you, do you believe that this soap water has the power to make your hands clean? You could say, I believe that the soap water has the power to clean my hands. You might believe, but your hands would still be dirty. It is only when you put your hands into the bowl and wash them off that your hands become clean. In the same way, believing is a step in the right direction, but it is not the only step. If you truly believe, you will act upon your belief. When you act, repent, be baptized, Acts 2.38, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. By the way, can I say this? It is a promise, and it is a gift. And I started off this lesson by saying it is a gift. It is the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, I realize we're going over 30 minutes, but I'm going to try to do my best to finish this lesson today. Um, and so I, I want to discuss a couple more things here. You might be thinking, uh, isn't that working for your salvation? You, you say it's a gift, but you tell me I have to repent, be baptized, and get the Holy Ghost. Isn't that working for your salvation? But, you know, people will usually quote two verses of Scripture to argue that repenting and being baptized and speaking in tongues are working for your salvation. And they'll say this is against Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But Let's examine the scripture more carefully. Paul said that we are saved by grace through faith. So faith is definitely important. Hebrews 11 and 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Because of Ephesians 2, 8 and through 9, and scriptures like Hebrews 11 and 6, some would argue that faith alone is what saves an individual. But, if your faith is not activated, it is pointless. 
Example, if I gave you a gift card of my own free will but told you that you must activate it in order to use it, does that negate the fact that it is a gift? Of course not. It's still a gift, but you've got to activate it. You must seek the Holy Ghost because you believe. You are simply activating your faith, and God will give you the gift of the Holy Ghost. You cannot give yourself the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can't teach yourself how to speak in tongues, by the way. And you cannot wash away your own sins in baptism. These are works of God. That's why I said when it was poured out upon the Gentiles, they were amazed because they began to speak with other tongues, even though they had never even heard of it. I can't tell you how many times this has happened. Uh, to to people that came in. I watched them come in off the streets or I watched them come in from somewhere and they had never had an experience with Pentecost. They'd never even heard of speaking in tongues. If I had mentioned it to them, they would have said, that's bizarre, that's crazy. But guess what? When they came to the altar and they sincerely repented, God filled them with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with other tongues. And to many, I, I never will forget, uh, we were working in a prison one time and I went and... and um, we were teaching, and uh, I had another man there that was teaching for me, and uh, we began to lay hands on the prisoners as they came forward to the altars. There were uh, probably about eight or nine prisoners that were praying in the altars that day, and there was a man that told me afterwards, he said, I don't know what happened to me. He said, but when one of you laid your hand upon my back, he said, I started speaking in some uh, weird words that I couldn't understand. Now, I questioned him for a while just to make sure that he wasn't pulling my leg, so to speak. And uh, when I talked to him about it, uh, come to find out he knew nothing about the Holy Ghost, had no background in Pentecost, didn't even know about speaking in tongues in the Bible. In fact, knew very little about the Bible itself, yet he still spoke in tongues. So there's many, many, many examples of this that I could give. I could give example after example after example of people that came in and received the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues and didn't even know anything about it and didn't expect that, uh, excuse me, didn't expect that to happen. <clears throat> now, let's move on. Uh, notice verse number six, though, of Acts chapter number 19. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So, when the Holy Ghost fell on them, they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Okay, They were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke in tongues. In Acts 10, the Holy Ghost fell on the Gentiles and they spoke in tongues. In Acts 8, there was visible evidence that Simon saw that they, uh, that is, uh, when it, with his eyes when the Holy Ghost came on the Samaritans because of these other passages uh, which we read, Acts 2, Acts 10, and Acts 19. We can know for certain that the visible evidence was tongues in all of these passages. And hopefully I've described all of this uh, by now. But in Mark chapter 16 and verse 17, Jesus told his disciples what to expect. He said, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Now stop. He said, shall. He didn't say might. He said, it shall follow what, who? Them that believe. Not select believers. Not a few believers. Not, a, not some of them. He says, them that believe. These signs shall, it's a promise, follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. All right, to those that believe in, in uh, casting out devils and exorcisms but do not believe in speaking in tongues, well, you're going to have a problem with this verse of Scripture because it says the same believers that uh, cast out devils in Jesus' name ought to also speak with new tongues. <clears throat> so some would argue that Mark chapter 16, verse 17 has little manuscript evidence. However, if the manuscript evidence is so little, little uh, why is it included in every English version that I have ever seen? 
I've never seen one that left it out. Apparently, there's more evidence to support its inclusion into the New Testament text than some would suggest. All right, let's get back to the Holy Ghost. It is important to realize that you cannot give yourself the Holy Ghost. It is a gift. I've mentioned that again and again. All you do is repent and be baptized. Now, again, repentance is what you can do, and this is not works. This is just obedience. There's a difference between doing works and just being obedient. When Noah built the ark, that was not works. That was obedience to God. When you repent, that's not works. That's obedience to God. And when you're baptized, you can't wash away your own sins, but you can, by faith, go into those waters of baptism, believing that when you go down in Jesus' name, you'll come up clean because the Bible tells you you will. All right. Now, hopefully, I've established all of these points, but... um, I, I want to just kind of talk about something here. Somebody might ask, is the Holy Ghost essential? All right, I really only need one verse to answer this question. Romans 8 and 9, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. All right, so if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, that's the Holy Ghost, by the way, you are none of his. You don't belong to God, in other words. Just in case, by the way, there's another verse of Scripture, I don't have it in front of me, but it says, uh, He sent forth the spirit of adoption into your hearts, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. So he says, He sent forth the spirit of adoption, that's talking about the Holy Ghost, and he said, This is how you cry, Abba, Father, which is a turn of endearment. And you, you cannot call God your Father without the Holy Ghost. Uh, no man... Uh, speaking by the Spirit of God, can say Jesus is a curse. And no man say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there's more than just saying Jesus is Lord, because Jesus said, not every man that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So when you say, Lord, Lord, uh, kudios, kudios, I believe is how you pronounce that, um, you're saying he's master of every area of your life. And you can't do that without the Holy Ghost. Okay. Now, uh, somebody might ask, well, why would, why would God use the tongue to announce the coming of the Holy Ghost? By the way, when you're seeking the Holy Ghost, don't seek tongues, seek the Holy Ghost. My grandpa used to say it, and I've quoted it on this uh, list of Bible studies before. Uh, you buy the shoes, the tongues come with it. When you get the Holy Ghost, the tongues come with it. You don't seek tongues, you seek the Holy Ghost. All right, <clears throat> now, why would God choose the tongue? I'll give you four reasons. Number one, the tongue is the most unruly member of the body, James 3 and 8, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Number two, the tongue reveals what's in the heart. Matthew 12, 34, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Number three, the tongue is like the very small helm that turns our ship. James 3, 2 through 5, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is the perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth, uh, mouths, but uh, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Number four, the tongue has the power of life and death. Proverbs eighteen twenty one, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. All right, let me review those quickly. The tongue is the most unruly member of the body. The tongue reveals what's in the heart. The tongue is the very small helm that turns our ship. Number four, the tongue has the power of life and death. All right, let's talk about what are the benefits of talking in tongues. Number one, when you speak in tongues... 
you are speaking the wonderful works of God. Acts 2 and verse 11, and in context, of course, they heard them talking in tongues, and they gathered from every nation under heaven. They were Jews, they were devout men, and they say, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues, what? The wonderful works of God. Can I tell you this? True speaking in tongues is not gibberish. True speaking in tongues is a language. And when you speak in that language, you're speaking the wonderful works of God. I'm reminded of a story that is has been heard on this podcast before. My grandmother told it where in her early days of receiving the Holy Ghost in Jackson, she was in the prayer room and she was praying and there was a Hebrew man that showed up there under divine inspiration. God dealt with him to come into the church. When he walked up there, he heard my grandmother speaking in tongues and he said she's speaking perfect Hebrew and to describe what she was saying and she was praising God. It's incredible. When you speak in tongues, you speak the wonderful works of God. It's not just gibberish. It's the wonderful works of God. And can I just say this? Because for some reason I feel to say this today. And I try my best, even in this podcast, to be led of the Holy Ghost. And as I feel it, I speak it. And let me just say this today. That somebody might be struggling with receiving the Holy Ghost because you say, well, uh, I, I feel to speak in tongues, but it doesn't make any sense. And it's weird. And, and I, I don't know what I believe about all this. Can I just say to this to you, that it would sound weird to your ears. I'm sure that on the day of Pentecost, when they went out speaking, it sounded very foreign to their ears. Of course, it was foreign. All right. But they were speaking the wonderful works of God and other men understood them. Can I say this? It may sound foreign to your ears when you begin to speak in other tongues. But guess what? You're not just speaking gibberish. You're speaking the wonderful works of God. Okay. Number two. When you speak in tongues, you are magnifying God and giving thanks unto him. Acts 10, 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. 1 Corinthians 14, 17 through 18, for thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than uh, ye all. Notice it says, giveth thanks well. And it also says in Acts 10, 46, they were speaking in tongues and magnifying God. The two go hand in hand. When you speak in tongues, you're giving glory and praise to God. And also the first point we made, you're speaking the wonderful works of God. All right. Number three, when you speak in tongues, you're speaking mysteries in the spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 2, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. So when you speak in tongues, you are speaking mysteries in the Spirit. That's point number three. Point number four, when you pray in the Holy Ghost, not necessarily just in tongues, but this is certainly included here, you are building up your faith. Jude 20. Uh, it says this, there's only one chapter in Jude, Jude cha verse number 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. You might say, well, that's not always speaking in tongues. True, but I believe it does include speaking in tongues. You're, you're building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. I can't tell you how many times I've had the experience of feeling discouraged, feeling beaten down, and then I'll go to a place of prayer and I'll begin to pray. And as I'm praying, I begin to speak with other tongues and it somehow just builds me up and I'll walk away encouraged when I had walked into the prayer meeting, discouraged. There's something about speaking in tongues. It's building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, you don't know what you're praying, but the Spirit does. And that moves into point number five. 
Point number five, when you pray in the Holy Ghost, the Spirit is making intercession for you and helping your infirmities. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Somebody might argue and they'd say, well, you know, it just says in the Spirit, and that doesn't necessarily mean you're speaking in tongues. Okay, well, I would agree that groanings which cannot be uttered is not always speaking about speaking in tongues, but it could also mean unintelligible sounds, and I believe that could include speaking in tongues. Anybody that's ever uh, operated in the mode of intercession uh, and if you seek to be in prayer, there's you can be an intercessor. Let me just tell you that. You can be an intercessor. God can use you in intercession, but you have to be willing to devote that time to him. But as you're praying, God begins to speak through you in tongues, and sometimes it'll move into the points of groans and cries, and you don't know what you're doing, and it doesn't make much sense to you, and it may sound crazy to hearers around you, but can I tell you, you're making intercession in the Spirit. It's also helping your infirmities. And uh, One man put it this way. It's described as somebody coming alongside of you and helping you to push a burden you can't move on your own. You may be facing a problem or a situation today in your life. And I, I feel the Holy Ghost as I'm talking today. Um, and you may be facing something that seems insurmountable and you feel like this is a problem I cannot get around. I'm discouraged. I, I, I don't see an answer to my problem. Can I tell you, get in the Spirit. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Learn to pray in the Holy Ghost. As you begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, let God come alongside of you. Let him help you push that burden. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of the verse of Scripture that Jesus said, if you have faith, even as the grain of the mustard seed, you could say into the mountain, remove and be cast into the sea and it will be done. Uh, but you've got to have faith. And, and you know what? It takes faith to pray in the Spirit. It really does. It takes faith to pray in the Spirit. I like to describe it this way. And again, I, now I'm, I'm moving kind of back into talking to somebody that... Um, may have trouble. You feel like you've been praying for the Holy Ghost and you say, I just can't speak in tongues. I, I don't understand it. Well, let me put it this way. You know what? I like to think of it as cruise control. Um, maybe you didn't have any trouble with cruise control when you first started using it, but I remember I did. I got used to being in control of the car. I got used to be in control of the pedal. And even today, when I put on cruise control, I feel mighty uncomfortable. And I have to turn it off of cruise control after a while. Because I don't like the feeling of losing control. And that's the same thing with speaking in tongues. One of the biggest battles that a lot of people have, some it's a lack of faith, uh, some it's sin in their life, some it's, it's pride that could get in the way. But can I tell you this? A lot of times, it's just a lack of understanding. And it's you trying to hold on too tight. And so a lot of people are still, they still got that foot down on the pedal and they just don't want to trust the cruise control. Please, I'm not, I'm not trying to demean the Holy Ghost. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm only making an illustration and I, I agree it's a poor illustration, but I'm only describing to you how it feels. It's like turning on cruise control and taking your foot off of the pedal. It's the same thing. Uh, and so, you know, can you imagine they're talking about computerized uh, vehicles that'll drive for you? Can you imagine how we're going to feel then? Because we're used to being in control and it's going to terrify a lot of people because they don't like the feeling of having something else in control when they're used to being in control. It's the same thing with speaking in tongues. But the key is you've got to take your foot off the pedal. Um, and that's just an illustration. But when you're praying for the Holy Ghost, you've got to let God take over. I remember my grandfather used to say many times, he said, it's improper for you to speak when somebody else is trying to speak. He says, you need to just hush and let God come in and take over. Now, realize God's going to use your tongue. 
Okay, God's going to use your tongue to speak his heavenly language. So it's not as if God's going to just come in, walk into your mouth and grab your tongue and start shaking it. God's going to use your tongue. All right. But he's going to speak his language. It's not going to make much sense to the, to you the way it sounds, but God's going to speak through you. But you've got to let go and allow God to take your tongue and to speak through you. Okay. Hopefully I've made a good point there. All right. Uh, point number six. Now, point number five, again, just, uh, you know, when you pray in the Holy Ghost, the Spirit is making intercession for you and helping your infirmities. Number six, it reminds us that we are a child of God. Romans eight sixteen. the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I love what one man said. Don't doubt your experience. Confirm it. When you're having doubts, go up and get another dose of the Holy Ghost. All right. So point number six, it reminds us that we are a child of God. Point number seven, when you speak in tongues, you edify yourself. 1 Corinthians 14, 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. That means building up, uh, edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Number eight, speaking in tongues is our Sabbath or our rest. Isaiah 28, verse 11 through 12, for with stammering lips in another tongue will he speak to this people uh, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Now, I understand we're going on quite a ways in this lesson. But to those who would claim that I took the scripture out of context, let me remind you that Paul applied these verses to the act of speaking in tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 21 through 22. So I didn't apply it. Paul did. I'm just borrowing his application. <laughs> All right. So hopefully I, I've established some of these points here today. And uh, I, I do believe that uh, there's much more that can be discussed. Perhaps we'll discuss this in more of the apostolic apologetics courses. Uh, I, I would suggest some of you that might say, well, what about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse four and, and uh, chapter 14? Or you might say, well, haven't tongues ceased according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? I uh, tell you, go to our series we did on apostolic apologetics, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, and that's a three-part series. So go and listen to that. I believe that will help you. Now, this Apostles' Doctrine 101 series has not been exhaustive, but it's mainly been a discussion of Acts chapter number 2 and uh, verse number uh, 38. And while we believe it's the plan of salvation, I've discussed some of the arguments that people would give against it. Um, but let me just end by reading this verse of scripture again in the book of John chapter number three and verse number five, Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In particular, I want you to notice that, um, he said, you must be born again of the water and of the spirit. Okay. So, but notice Jesus went on. In verse number eight, he said, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone, everyone, everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, I'm being a bit redundant here, but let me go back. Everyone that is born of the Spirit, he said, it's going to be like the wind. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where, where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone that is being born of the Spirit, just like the wind. What, what is he telling us? So is everyone. He said, everybody, it's going to be just like the wind. When you hear the sound, can I submit to you? The sound is speaking in tongues. You're not going to know when it comes, where it comes from, where it's going. You're not going to understand everything there is to understand about the Holy Ghost. And you know what? That's a problem with a lot of people. They're just too intellectual to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And 
let me just use this illustration. I think nowadays we have this modern mentality of we want to know why. We want to know the why uh, answer to, to, you know, we, we want the answer, excuse me. We want the answer to every question uh, that we ask. We, we want, you know, I want it all lined out. I want A, I want B, I want C, I want D, and I want E. And can I submit to you, that's the reason why we don't see the type of miracles that they saw in the days of the apostles. Because Jesus just said, you go and tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Jesus didn't explain how it was going to come in. He didn't explain it's going to come in like a mighty rushing wind. He didn't, he didn't explain to them it's going to come on the day of Pentecost. He didn't explain any of those things to them. He just said, you go and wait until something happens. And guess what? They went and they, and they waited till it happened. And so can I just point out the fact that, you know, it's not as if intellectuals, intellectualism is a sin. I believe it's a good thing to ask questions. But can I just tell you this? You're never going to have all of your questions answered. And hopefully I've answered a lot of your questions in this series, but you're never going to have all of your questions answered. But can I submit to you today that just because I haven't answered every single one of your questions, you may have other questions that have come up in your mind. You may have questions about the John 3, 5 passage I just gave you. And, you know, I think that's just talking about the natural birth. And, you know, I could take time and go into all of that. I've heard all kinds of arguments. I've, I've heard just about every argument you can think of. I've heard tons of them. But can I submit to you that maybe not every question is going to be answered, but if every question was answered, it wouldn't be an act of faith, would it? At some point, you've got to take the step of faith. You've got to step out. And so I want to tell you today that the Holy Ghost will come to you, but it's not going to come unless you believe. Again, I remind you of Hebrews 11 and 6, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, in other words, that he exists, and, so it's not just enough to believe that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That word diligently is very, very important, all right? Um, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6 is what I just quoted, and it says, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I think there's probably a lot of people under the sound of my voice that right now you're somebody that uh, you believe that he is. You believe in God. Otherwise, I don't think you'd be listening to this podcast. You obviously believe in God, but you must also believe that when you diligently seek him, that means to search out. That means to investigate. That means to crave. That means to worship. That means to carefully seek him. So you carefully seek him. You worship him. You investigate. You search out. You seek after God. You seek the Holy Ghost. And But you have to believe that when you seek him, he will reward your seeking. Ask and you shall receive. I'm reminded in the book of Matthew. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and to him that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened unto you. I'm reminded in the book of Luke, it said, uh, If you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask him? Can I tell you this? 
You don't have to beg him for the Holy Ghost. There may be somebody here that you're frustrated. You say, well, I, I, I just, I don't understand. I prayed and I can't get the Holy Ghost. Can I just tell you that the problem may be with nothing more than you just having a lack of faith. Do you really believe that God has forgiven you of your sins? Can I tell you, if you sincerely repented in your heart, God has forgiven you of your sins. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, God has washed away your sins. Can I tell you, it's a promise now. If you've repented and you've been baptized in Jesus' name, it becomes a promise. And ye shall, not might, not maybe, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So the next time you go down to that altar, or you may even pray in your own home and receive it, but why don't you just lift up your hands and when you pray, you said, God, your word said, I shall receive the Holy Ghost. And so I believe it. And by faith, I accept that when I begin to pray, I'm going to begin to speak in other tongues. Can I just tell you this? When you pray, you after you've repented of your sins, after you have uh, uh, repented and you've done your part and you begin to seek God, you diligently seek him, you praise him, you worship him, you glorify him, you thank him by faith for the gift, and you will begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Can I tell you that you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Thank you for listen, listening uh, to the Apostles' Doctrine 101, Lessons 1 through 5. Uh, hopefully I've covered most of your major questions, and perhaps we'll do more of the Apostolic Apologetic series and cover more of your questions. Thank you for listening.